But that's one of my struggles is the car ride. And I've narrowed it down to come up to a place where whether I'm safe or not. Right? Like, I want to be safe in my little, my little rocket ship. And I want to know that other people's driving is not going to adversely affect my world. And when they do something that causes me to react, I go, oh! Praise Jesus, I made it. <laughs> can, we be, can we be honest? And, and I mean, we were talking last night about how it, it has to do with our presence with God. And, and you would think like, oh, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have all your poop in a group. When people look at you, you're just like, you're like what everybody should aspire to be. Well, I hope, I hope that I'm one step ahead, maybe in that, right? Like I hope that I'm, but my education, my education helps fill my brain, but my walk with God helps fill my heart and my life, amen? amen. You know, so you can come to church and sit here in your Sunday best and all that jazz. Great, wonderful, whatever. Awesome. You know, it feels good to get dressed up once in a while, yeah? But if you, think, if you think putting on the right amount of makeup or putting on the right clothes has any impact on your relationship with God, you may be incorrect about that. You might be right because maybe that, that helps you to get to wherever you need to go. I don't know for sure. But what I'm saying is a nice shirt does not do the same for you as Jesus on the cross. <laughs> Yeah, And so churches for thousands of years have been dressing up nice. And I have, again, I have nothing wrong with dressing up nice. But walking into this building doesn't make you Christian, just like walking into your garage doesn't make you a car. Right? You can put on all the clothes. You can, you can have all the cool Christian t-shirts in the world and still flip somebody off on the interstate because the dumb bugger was a, just an idiot. <laughs> Right? And the last place we go to is, I raise a hallelujah. It's like, how do you, what, did you just hear what came out your mouth? Did you really, now you're going to, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Like, and I think the sooner that we get real, the sooner we can actually begin to fix the things and, or allow God into our heart to fix the things and the areas that we struggle with, yeah? And so if you're reading in Exodus 24, Exodus 24 is God, is God is giving the boys or giving Moses the, the tabernacle. He's giving them the, the book of the law is coming up. And so he's preparing. He's preparing the box that it goes in. And one thing that eluded me up until yesterday, believe it or not, nine years of cemetery, it eluded me till yesterday that God also had them make a table, right? So here's, here's the law. Here's the things that they need to know to do to follow God. And then he makes a table. And if you were here last night, you can't give the answer away. But if you weren't here last night, what did he put on the table? Who? Food. Food. What kind of food? What's that? 
It was the bread. It was the bread of his presence. And so God is calling us to have these things together, right? Like we can separate these things all we want to, but God is calling us together. So there's something about walking in the presence of God that brings that righteousness of Christ. Yeah? Does that make sense? And so as we take communion, what are we taking in? Is it a coincidence? Yeah. Is it a coincidence that Jesus is called the what of life? The bread of life. The presence of life. Jesus is this. And so he takes bread that's sitting there at the tabernacle. God the Father gives the tabernacle, gives the orders of love, gives the commandments, and gives the bread of his presence. His son is called the bread of life. Jesus breaks the bread and we take the bread. We're missing something out on the very presence of it and we just take this little cracker and some juice. But that's, that in my mind is what the enemy would love us to believe, that this is just nothing. That there's no way that supernaturally God can change this to the bread of Christ, his very presence. But Jesus said otherwise. And think about what comes with the presence of God. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. And God gave us this. God gave us this for a reason. Nothing that God does is accidental or coincidental. It doesn't just happen. God is the most intentional and strategic being that ever was to think about him knowing you from before time began until now and the steps that you would take to give, to give you alternatives so that you might learn to walk and you're going to go through this and you're going to have this free will to do these things, and he's always going to present you with, with more options to return back to him. And so we take in the presence as the beginning of that. Because we're choosing to be in his presence. We're choosing to take him in. And so it was on the night in which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was betrayed that he took the bread, he broke it, and gave thanks. He blessed it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now, he would die tomorrow. And that blood seals the covenant seals the agreement, the contract that God made, seals the things that Jesus said were going to happen, seals the fact that Jesus paid for our sins. It seals it in the crimson blood of the spotless lamb. He blessed and gave thanks. And so we sing the doxology because it's right to give thanks to God. Yeah, it, it's right to put your heart in that place of thanksgiving 
to the greatest gift giver ever. Right? Like, if you think about what you've done in this life, for you husbands, how many times have you not been a good man to your wife? To you wives, how many times have you not been a good wife to your husband? To you parents, how many times have you not been good parents to your kids? To you kids, how many times have you not been good kids to your parents? And that's just in our nuclear family. <laughs> Let's throw out how you do at work. Let's throw out how you do at the grocery store. Let's throw all that's been forgiven. How do we not give thanks to God for something we couldn't possibly pay for? Even beyond the law, even beyond the commandments where we fail, how can we ask for that much forgiveness and be given it without God? And so we give thanks to God. So you know, sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Goodness gracious. Not so bad to do that, is it? Like, it feels good. It feels good. In corporate setting, to give thanks to God as a community, as a band of brothers and sisters, to give thanks to God. It's like, because old boy's just off the chain. So, um, yeah. Swap out a little technology and hope that it works today. Hey, all right, yeah, thank you, God. <laughs> we like that. So what happens when your best isn't good enough? Where do you run to? What do you do then? Try harder? What, what if try isn't enough? What if, so, what if what we're to do is, is actually surrender to God and walk in his will so that your, your best is death? Huh. Well, what do you think about that? Die to self, live in Christ. His ways are better than our ways. Amen. So, I brought up this one, and you don't have this in your bulletin. So Mark 8, 35 to 37, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. You see, we're so, we're so ingrained with the idea that this life is all that we have. This is it. Right, and so... If we think about what we talked about during communion, and God knows that we're going to fall short, but we've been covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Where is it that we put all this burden on ourselves to rise up and be better than? Because if your best 
isn't good enough, I ask, good enough for who? And why are you putting all this pressure on you? What is your actual offering to God? What is your actual, what's, it, what's the point of your faith if it's not to change some of the things that we're doing? So God sees me as perfect and whole. Now I keep looking at myself as a pile because I don't do this right, I don't do that right, I'm not the best pastor, I'm not the best husband, I'm dang sure not the best stepfather, I'm not the best son-in-law, I'm not the best anything. Heck, to be honest, some days I'm not even very good at any of it. Like I just straight up suck. Now somebody else might not tell you that, but I will. Right? Like, I am my own worst critic, and I put a weight so heavy on myself that there's absolutely no way that I can rise up and be good enough. I don't need anybody's help to tell me whether I'm good enough or not. I don't need it, because I probably ain't going to listen to you anyways. Right? I have this thing called pride in me that just weighs so heavy on my shoulders. It tears me down. And, and God, so as I'm learning to walk with God, I'm learning to realize what God has actually done for me. Like the weight that I'm carrying to satisfy the world is in his hands. But wait a minute, Fred, won't people tell you you suck when you suck? Well, if you suck, maybe. But what happens if they're wrong? Why am I giving people more credit in my life than I give the Father? Right, So if God tells me that what I have to do is lose my life so that I can live in him, that he's already paid for me to be forgiven, right? That he has written these laws, but he calls me to his presence. When I find myself engaged too much in the world and in myself, I'm losing track of my relationship with the Father. And I'm no longer basking in him, but rather rating and judging myself based on myself and what anybody else would think. Now there's a difference in there that there's godly counsel and godly wisdom that brothers and sisters, as we build relationships, we should be able to walk alongside each other and help each other. But it looks a lot different than saying, hey, you're stupid, you suck. It has to, because what's the point? Did Jesus Christ need to die on a cross so that I could tell you you're stupid? But yet here we go. Here we go, and we do these things, and we tear each other apart, not to mention we tear ourselves apart. And God is calling us into his presence to die to self in those things. I think it's some measure, we have this, this lack of faith because our faith should be telling us that what we receive from God and his blessing and his presence is greater than anything that this world has to offer. That says it in the word of God, and yet my goal and my aims are solely fixed on the world. That's how I judge me. Make sense? How many of you guys have some kind of idea what it looks like to pass or fail this life? To succeed. And then how does that measure up to God? Again, back to being honest. Back to being honest. And we have to get to that point of, 
of absolute and complete honesty. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Is he calling you to physical death? He's calling you to a, a death of this thing that's fixated on what these things see so that you can see the beauty of his creation and who he made you to be, that you can actually see the beauty in one another. And instead of ripping and tearing one, one another down, we're consistently working to build one another up. Right? Jesus did not need to die on a cross so I could be a critic. And yet, off we go, right? You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You're never satisfying me. You're this, you're that, you're blah, 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 blah. And before you know it, you've ripped the living tar out of everybody around you. And so nobody even wants to be near you. You find yourself alone. And you wish like hell you could get away from you sometimes. Is that what Jesus died on the cross for? You see, we got to get to this place where we're thinking differently about who God is. We need to be ingesting his presence, ingesting the blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, so that we can live different lives, that we can live differently. And it walks out differently. And I suck at this some days. I'm bad at this. But God is doing a work in me so that I can be better at doing what he's calling me to do. Does that make sense? Like, even, even for me, like, I'm the pastor, man. I suck at it sometimes. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So you sell your entire soul. Everything you do is all about the Benjis, right? Just making that cheddar. And you go to church on Sunday, but you know full well it's just a show. You go off and do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, it don't matter. I would serve the community, but I'm busy serving my wallet. If this thing isn't full, and my bank account that goes along with the cards in there isn't full, then I'm a failure and I'm a loser. You see, because as soon as I serve the church and I serve God, who's replenishing this thing? And this thing becomes my God. My home becomes my God. Lay it down. Lay it down and pick up the peace in the presence of God. Your house will be paid for. Yeah? You're still going to go to work. You're still going to do your thing. But instead of carrying all that pressure and that big burden of all the things that you have to do in this life, you actually understand that it is God who is getting you through it, that he's bringing you to things. And what happens when you actually start to think and listen to what God is telling you and you change your course because God's calling you there. So you go there and you find that the blessing is greater. Do you believe that? Or is that just some silly little fallacy that the preacher just keeps running his gums about? Right? Like, just shut up, pastor. It's enough. I've heard enough from your face. Stop it. I don't want to hear anymore. Right? 
People go home every week from churches mattered and mad because the, ch- the pastor had the audacity to break out scripture that doesn't fit my emotions. Every week, every week across the world. So we'll get started. So Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this message, Father. I ask, Lord, that you'd get me out of the way and that you'd deliver your word. That uh, everybody sitting here and everyone online would have the opportunity to bask in your presence, Lord. That they would come to know you and know your word. That that relationship would be made so true, so real today. Just bless them, Father God. Bless us all as we tear into this. Have your way. Might your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Papa. Amen. So there was a rich young man. If you're in your Bibles, Luke 16, 19 through 21. There was a rich man, and I put this in there. This is me in here. What is his name? And this is going to be important as we continue on. There was a rich young man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar. What was his name? Why did the rich man not have a name and Lazarus did? You can't speak quietly. I did, I said. Was he? Well, I thought God, I thought God loved the world. Okay, great, great question. What's What's that? A well man doesn't need a physician. A well man doesn't need a physician, or does he? <coughs> All right. So, so here comes Lazarus. He's covered with sores. At his gate was laid. What does that mean? Did Lazarus, does it sound like Lazarus got there by himself? At his gate... Lazarus laid or was laid. Is that a difference? Who's their English major here? All right. So Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Here he is, a sick man, covered in sores and just simply wanting scrap. Who else would have been there? So In the Middle East at that time, they had wild dogs running around, right? They still do, actually. There's dogs running around. Um, So who else is notorious for picking up scraps at the table? Right, your dog? I remember when my dog Rose died. I could not believe the amount of crud under my table. Like, I never realized I spilled it until my vacuum cleaner died. (laughs) I'm like, who made that mess? Oh, you live alone, sunshine. Dang it! As me. <laughs> so even the dog came and licked his sores. Why do dogs lick sores? To heal. Right. They, they promote healing by licking and by cleaning the wounds. So there's two possibilities to look at this. Either the dogs were, were there begging for scraps and they, they were like, there's some commentaries and it's kind of gross, but they say they were feeding on the sores. But the one that I believe, the, the way that I choose to read this, is that the dogs had mercy on Lazarus and they were trying to lick him because if you know a dog, man, dogs are just 
naturally loving creatures. They don't want to see anybody in pain. And so here comes the dogs even showing mercy to this guy with all the sores who has nothing. Yeah. We went home, took my leg off, and our dog came and licked and pulled all of his skin off. Wouldn't stop until it was done. Right. He healed within three days. Yeah, dogs are incredible, but it's gross. I know. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, but it's gross. So. What was, what's going on here? What did the rich dude have? He had everything, right? And what did Lazarus have? Nothing but sores. One life was great, right? When the world looked at it, that life was great. But when you look at the other one, not so much. Right, you might find yourself envious of the rich dude, and not so much of Lazarus, right? And, and this is not, this is not to say, if you're a Christian, you're stricken to poverty and you should have nothing. I'm not saying that. Do not hear that. It is not part of the message, all right? I believe that God has good for all. We all have different measures, but... All right, so 22 to 23... The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried... Who carried him off? What is that? Is that a spot of honor? That angels would carry you off? But he doesn't have anything but sores. Huh. The rich man also died and was buried. Where's the remark about who carried him off and threw him in the dirt? Who did it? Probably somebody who was making bank off his inheritance. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. The rich man is in hell, and he looks up, and he sees Abraham and Lazarus. Lazarus is the poor guy with the sores, and the rich dude's down here. What good does it do you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And what man could buy his soul at the end? When are you going to die? When you die. No, what day? What day is that? Bingo. You see, some folks think that they can just keep waiting for, well, I'll just keep waiting and on that day, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get there. Well, what happens when it's not like that? And all you've sought after is money, is possession, is this, is that. What happens? All right there, it talks about it. One ends up in heaven. So these two men, they shared death. That's all they shared. One lived and one suffered. 
So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. How much sympathy or empathy did the rich man show Lazarus when he's laying outside his gate with sores arguably burning his skin? None. And now who does he call to to have sympathy? You see how the script gets flipped? But if we listen to what the world is telling us, all we chase is what the world has to offer, and all the world has to offer is death. But there's something about that relationship with God that transforms our hearts to where we chase after God and we receive and walk into his blessing. Yeah? But it's in our finite thinking that doesn't allow us to understand that there's blessing in faithfulness. And so I stop doing the things that God is calling me to do to chase the things that I want, the things that I know I want, in a lack of belief, knowing that God knows what's best for me. Right? Remember me saying I'd rather trade in my, trade in my car for a buggy? Right? Like, how stupid would it be for a guy like me to chase after the world and get myself a nice McLaren? Right? That would be fun. I, just, I could see tickets galore 225 miles an hour down the interstate just letting it rip because, boy, you give me speed and I get stupid. It's just a fact. It doesn't matter what it's on, what it's in, I'll get stupid. Straight up. <clears throat> Have pity on me and send Lazarus. The audacity that that man would have to call on the one that he wouldn't even save, that he would do nothing for. And he calls on him by name. Have him dip his finger so that I might get some relief from this burning hell that I walked into. I did this and now I don't want to suffer my consequences for the choices that I made. And I think so oftentimes the church misses this part because we're too afraid about emotion, right? Like you have free will to choose God or to not choose God, to choose life or to choose death. That's on you. Don't think that God is an evil, vermicious canit because you decided not to follow him. It's not on him. He did the work already. It's up to you and your choices, your free will. One's going to lead to death. One's going to lead to heaven. Period. Heaven and hell, the two options. What are you going to do? One of you is going to be sitting there, hey, Pastor Fred, dip your finger in some water because it's hotter than hell down here. No, it's hot as hell. You're in hell. And can you imagine sitting there? Because like, I used to be an atheist for years, and I remember thinking, like, man, I'm going to go down there and rock this thing out. Like, we're just going to party. Like, hit the tapper, let's roll. We'll be doing keggers all night long, just blowing smoke, doing our thing. Always. Like, it's going to be, woo! Now, the real party's going to be in heaven, and you get to sit there wishing. Huh. Not only is it hot, and miserable, but that looks like a lot of fun. What kind of hell is that? 
So he's trading in. He traded it in. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. While Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. And I love this, hate this. But check it out. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The decision's been made. Life and death have happened. Heaven and hell are here and real. There's no going, but Johnny... I love Johnny. I loved Mabel. And they're down there. I want to go there. Nor can they go, but I love Fred. I want to go there. It's too late. It's too late. You make your choices based on what you want. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Do you want to build up and encourage and edify to build people up? Or do you want to just rip them down and point out everything they've ever done wrong? What is it? You got a choice. It's time the church stops being double-minded. You can't sit in here on Sunday and talk all this Jesus stuff and give us your answers like you're some perfect attendance Sunday school kid and then walk out the door and rip the living crap out of everybody that you know. It doesn't work that way. You need to check your heart. But where's the church? Why do people not want to go to church? Certainly if you tell them about the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, who wouldn't want that? Right? Like, why would you not want that? I don't know that I would want it if I have to act like that to get it. Does that make sense? So we make choices in our life and we need to figure out whether we are going to choose to love and serve God or we are going to choose to love and serve the world. They are not the same. Not. Not the same. Luke 16, 25 and 26. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they, did, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Right? Like, I think we get this mixed up version of what the Bible is because we act as though we could take it or leave it. Like, I like this verse and I don't like that verse, so we cherry pick, we pick it, we choose it, we decide, we decide what to slam our brothers and sisters with, right? Wham! In the name of Jesus! No, that's in the name of Satan. You don't, get, you don't get to destroy people in the name of Jesus. It is opposing to everything that Christ stood for. 
everything. And it's time, it's time that the church figures it out. It's time that the church figures out that this entire thing is about loving our neighbors. Yes, holding one another up, holding one another accountable to the truth because in all honesty, you can do better. That's why your ways are failing so bad and you're stuck trying to figure out what the heck do you do? How do you recover? Because you're not walking with God. So the thing that you do is you change your path that satisfies the world to be the path of righteousness, the one that God is on, right? Like Jesus had a great time while he was here. If you're like thinking about like how cool it must have been to flip the tables. Can you imagine those guys? As Jesus walks into the temple and just, whoo, you brood of vipers. Be like, what? Like, dude, bro, simmer. Chill, man. I like that. Ah. But <laughs> just like holy buckets. He was awesome. Dude was awesome. Straight up awesome. And then to walk up to the woman who was married five times and the man she's living with, the sixth man is not even her husband. She's out in the middle of the day, the scorching heat, and our example, our Savior walks up to her and he doesn't say, hey, you whore. He doesn't. The town did. That's why she's out there during the day because the town couldn't love her and didn't accept her. So where do you go when you're in shame? You go by yourself, right? But what did Jesus do? He walked up and he loved her. He loved on her. He told her the story. Go and sin no more. Does that sound like how we do it? Does that sound like any example you've seen in the church? How about from your Christian friends? Sound like it? Sometimes maybe a little, but I really truly believe that we can do better. Not just Torn, but the church. Those who follow Jesus Christ around the world, we can do better. Why is it that there are good people not saved out there doing better things than the church is doing? Why? Sad part, they're doing great stuff, but they don't know Jesus. They're still going to go to hell. That's sad. But what, what about those of us who say we know Jesus Christ and don't do good? Where do we go? You know whether you've received Christ in your life. You know whether he actually maneuvers and manipulates your heart so that you walk into the fullness and the goodness and the glory of the Father or not. You know that. You know it. It's high time we stop lying to ourselves because we don't know when the day is. We don't know the day nor the time. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do, folks? Luke 24, 25 to 27, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I love this because here they are. They say that they followed the one who was the way. 
And yet the one who was the way walked beside them. He told them, beginning with Moses through the prophets, all the things that the word, the thing that they should have known, he told them all of it. And they still didn't get it. It wasn't until Jesus did what? Broke the bread. Right? They invited him back to their house like, dude, it's late. Let's, let's chill together, catch a, catch a bite to eat, and we'll, we'll roll out in the morning. And Jesus broke the bread. The bread of what? Presence? Isn't that ironic? He broke the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Bread represents the presence of God. Once they broke bread together, they recognized, holy cow. Oh my gosh. How many of us, if Jesus were to walk with us, would recognize that it was Jesus? Do you know enough about your Lord to know enough about your Lord? Do you take the time in your life to actually study and ingest the word so that you can develop and grow in that relationship with him so that your life can be different and blessed? Do you know enough or are you so filled with the actions and the things of this world that that is the last thing you have time for? Right? Shameless plug, Wednesday night, 6.30, a time of prayer. And it is absolutely beautiful and absolutely incredible. And it might be the only time in a week that any of us take an entire hour to bask in the presence of God. And it'll be uncomfortable. It's like, oh my gosh, is this thing almost over? Nope, we've, got, we've prayed four minutes. And then the next time you come, you might get to 15 or 20 minutes. But for most everybody that I've heard, the hour goes by and you're like, oh my gosh, it's up already? Yeah. Practicing being in the presence of God. Practice being in the presence of God means that I'm practicing walking this thing called faith out in my life. And man, life can be more gooder if I just let it. Be careful what you're aiming for. You may just hit it. What lies at the beginning of every dream that you have? Do your eyes set the target or does your heart? Is it the will of the Father or the will of the world that guides the path that you're on? What is it that's trying to take you to the next place? You're the only one that can know it. I don't get to sit here and tell you where you're wrong. I get to sit here and tell you the word of God, amen? That's my job, and if you ask for help along the way, I get to help you any way I can. But it's important. God is the riches that you seek, amen? Is that good enough for you? Is that good enough? If all you had in this world was the love of God, is that enough? We can say it. You're the only one who knows it. But I would put that question in your head and in your heart. 
Riches will never fill your heart. There's one thing I've learned about more is it only wants more. Look at some of the richest people in the world and tell me how happy they are. Why are they getting divorced so much? I said it a few months ago with Jeff Bezos, 80 some billion dollars, still needed a trader, his wife in for a different model. What are you doing with the blessings that God gives you? Are you learning to be satisfied and content in what God has given you? Or are you learning to be discontent with everything? Because you will never reach the level of more that stops you from seeking more if more is all you're after. If the world is the only thing that you are trying to get, this measure of success, if that's it, you're never ever going to get there. Ever. Love God and love neighbor. Your relationship with God should cause you to want this. There should be no reason that the churches are not full. Every one of us has stuff to do. Every one of us, yeah? How many of you guys would say that you're not busy ever? Look around the room. Not one hand went up. What does that mean? That we're all busy. We all lead busy lives. If you take your life, what is it, 168 hours in a week, and you divide that by the amount of time that you actually spend with God, how much time do you have for the rest of the world or the rest of life? Being honest. You know it. You know it. This is a gut check. Everything that we do here should be a gut check and a filling station for the heart. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His love is perfect, pure, and right. The path of righteousness has been given to us. Right? Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we might have life and life in abundance, and yet we traded for something that the world thinks that it can give us. That's like trading in my McLaren for a poodle. That's just stupid. But yet, I do it myself. I do it myself when I rip myself off of the time that I should be spending with God. So the challenge, the challenge is, will you do an honest inventory of yourself and then ask God, how can I do this better? How can I do this better? And I guarantee, if you hear something like, you'll never get there because you suck, that's not God. If you hear anything negative, it's not God. Because God will not take the opportunity when you expose your belly to run a sword through your guts. He will take the time to love you and to sit with you. His desire is that we sit at his feet and worship him in everything that we do. Amen?
So we're going to sing some worship songs. I'll pray. We'll have one worship song to close. But I really just want to encourage each and every one of you to check yourself, to do that inventory, to ask God what it is that he would like to see you do. Because if I know one thing, well, I know a few things. One is that God loves you ridiculously, right? And those who are saved have the best life waiting for them. Amen? So, Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your blessing. We thank